Hey y'all, this is Amy. And this is Meg. And we are 1096 Crime Chicks. Today, we are going to continue with the Cameron Todd Willingham case. So, we're going to go into this really interesting man. Yes. In January 2004, Dr. Gerald Hurst, who is an acclaimed scientist and fire investigator, was asked to look into the Willingham case. And remember, his date was uh, his date of execution was scheduled for February right. of 04. And this is January of 04. So this starts happening right right before the execution with hardly any time right left. So he received a slew of reports dealing with the case. And Elizabeth had found out about him, and she had a relative of Willingham's that located him and asked for his help. Right. And I think it's really cool that he was like, sure, sure. I'll take a Send look. Yeah, I'll take a look. So he finally sat down with all the information at his home in Austin and obviously was very smart. He grew up using wires and different things to make radios and the like. And in the 60s, he got his PhD. He has a patent on what is described as, quote, the world's most non-nuclear explosive, otherwise known as an astrolite bomb. Patent on a bomb. Right. He decided to go out on his own and invented the Mylar balloon, yeah. which I was like, oh, that's really cool. Fascinating. A better version of liquid paper, <laughs> which most of us know as whiteout, and another explosive. However, because he knew so much about fire, people started calling him and asking him to help them figure out what started a suspicious fire. So obviously he was considered an expert. Right. Brilliant man, clearly. Yes. Yes. I was just letting you do it because you, oh. you're the one who did the Jody Bryan oh, case. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, do y'all remember Joe Bryan and the blood spatter experts that only had to take a four-hour class? Well, guess what? Same with the fire yep. investigators. They only had to have a high school diploma, go to a 40-hour class, and then learn from others that had been working in this field. 40 hours makes yes. you an expert. One week. One week. One week. Yeah. Makes you an expert. And I don't know if y'all saw it on the Facebook page. I'm just going to... Little blurb, Jody yes. Bryan blurb. So James Patterson I know. just wrote a book. It's not based on Joe Bryan's case, but it refers to that case right. a lot. And Jessica was finishing it, and she said she would let me read it afterwards. But she said it's really, really Ooh, good. I love but then James there was a, a part that she, you know what? Hang on, let me just look it up real quick <laughs> because it's just that important. She sent me because she knew that we were going to be. Doing, um, she and I had talked about doing Cameron. Right, 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 right. So she said, Oh, here we go. Okay. This is an excerpt from the book. Okay. And she said, What do you think this sounds like? Okay. Eight years ago, her duplex caught on fire in the middle of the night. She escaped through a window with cuts and burns and ran around the outside of the house, screaming as neighbors rushed to help. Her three daughters perished in the fire. The community rallied around her after the tragedy. The funeral was gut-wrenching and made the local news. Then the state arson investigator came to town. When he mentioned the word arson, all sympathy for her vanished. Wow. Is that not crazy? That's she was like, what crazy. did it sound like? Because she knew we were doing that. Yes. So, yeah. Wow. Interesting. I do love me some James Patterson. So. Me too. And I cannot wait to read the book because it's apparently very very good so back in 92 which was two years after the willingham murders the national fire protection association came out with scientifically based guidelines to arson investigations but there were still what we would consider old timers that did not adhere to these guidelines but who went with what they already knew so i would imagine some of those old timers are who 
you know, helped prosecute. And Maybe she, Vasquez? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so in 93, the International Association of Arson Investigators argued that arson investigators should not have to adhere to these guidelines. But by 2000, they were starting to use these guidelines. So there were probably people on both sets of the aisle, on both sides of the aisle, who were adhering to or who were not adhering to. But by 2000, they were starting to use them. Well, and my thing is, like, every, I mean, legitimately, every career out there has a set of guidelines right. that you have to right. use. Right, right. So why not? I, yeah. Just, it doesn't make sense to me that, oh, well, we're going to use these, but then now you don't have yeah, to. Yeah, we just. Now you have to. Right. It's, come on, people. So Hearst, who is this expert that, you know, that is talking with Elizabeth at this time, she, he worked on a case out of Tennessee where a mother was sent to death row for killing her son in a house fire. And Hearst did several tests and came to find out she is not guilty. The fire had been caused by faulty electrical wiring. And he had become so well-known that a Texas prosecutor told the Chicago Tribune that if he says it was arson, then it was arson. If he says it wasn't arson, it wasn't arson. So, I mean, that case sounds exactly like the Lillian case. Yes. She and I think... Sent to death row. That Texas prosecutor was right on the money. Like... This man is legit. He's right. the real deal. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So he started looking through the information on the Willingham case, and one thing automatically stood out to him as soon as he started looking at it. According to testimony from Vasquez, he had worked 1,200 to 1,500 of these cases, and most all of them were arson. But this really confused Hearst because the Texas State Fire Marshal's Office said only about 50% of fires investigated were arson. So obviously, Vasquez's numbers were a bit skewed. I believe that he probably just wanted to screw everybody over. Basically. I, I'm just going to Yeah, say it. no, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So he was also really bothered by Vasquez's testimony regarding that the uh, fire burning higher and hotter was because of liquid accelerant. This had been used for many years by arson investigators, but according to Hearst, this isn't true. So experiments have proved that wood and gasoline-fueled fires burn at essentially the same temperature. So it had nothing. Yeah. So it really had nothing to do with whether an accelerant had been used or not. Right. So he said that testimony. Hearst said that both that testimony by both Vasquez and Fogg said that the proof of arson was the fact that the aluminum threshold had melted. Vasquez's exact quote was, the only thing that can cause that to react or like that is an accelerant. But Hearst was dumbfounded by this. He said that a natural wood fire can reach temperatures above 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit when the melting point of aluminum is 1,000 to 1,200 degrees. So there's no proof at all that an accelerant had been used. Right. Um, Hearst pointed out that there are several arson investigators, not just Vasquez and Bog, but several of them that assume that wood charring below, that wood charring beneath the aluminum threshold indicates evidence of an accelerant. So. so granted, I mean, I think that they were very skewed in their ideas of it, but I also think a lot of people. They were weren't alone in that. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So Hearst performed several experiments on this, and his experiments showed that this wood charring only happened because of the heat that the melting aluminum put off. There are also other scientists that have performed the same experiment and got the same results. Yeah. In the report that Hearst made on the Willingham case, he said, quote, liquid accelerants can no more burn under an aluminum threshold 
than can grease burn in a skillet, even with a loose-fitting lid. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. The next thing Hearst looked at was the brown stains that Vasquez and Fogg said were indicators of a liquid accelerant. Hearst did several tests in his garage with several different kinds of liquid accelerants and could not corroborate their findings. He said that brown stains were very common in fires and they usually resulted from household items being burned in the fire and then mixed with water to put the fire out. That's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, when I was going through all this, I was like, man, like I never thought yeah. that this would be his interest. Yeah, I know. I know. So then he also starts looking at the crazed glass that Vasquez and Fogg had pointed out and said it was proof of an accelerant being used. And Hearst remembered a report written by some firefighters in California. They had worked a large brush fire that had burned down some houses and the houses that were on the outside perimeter that they had put out had the same webbed glass. And I mean, that was just a brush fire. So obviously there right. had not been accelerant. So what the firefighters found was that the house was burning so hot and that by spraying so much cold water on it, it cooled down so quickly that it caused the glass to have the same web design. So it wasn't related to an accelerant at all. It was just the temperature had, right. had um, decreased so quickly that it, that it caused this web design. So Hearst had also done the same experiment on some glass while he, while he was at Cambridge and came to the same conclusion. And so he said really that the findings of Vasquez and Fogg were just an old wives tale that the webbing had to be a result of an accelerant. Right. So then Hearst decided to dive into the worst part of the Vasquez and Fogg testimony. And that was the part that had been the most damning for, for Willingham. And that is the burn trailer, poor patterns, and puddle configurations, the V-shaped burns, and the burning under the children's bed. He looked at the report from Willingham and the witnesses who had said that the front windows exploded out of the house. And when he was reading all of these reports, it took him back to another case, what is considered to be one of the most pivotal cases in the history of arson investigation. This is the case of the Lime Street Fire. Yeah. Yeah. This one was really interesting, too. Yeah. So some of the details. It was the evening of October 15, 1990 in Jacksonville, Florida. A man named Gerald Wayne Lewis was standing outside of his house that was engulfed in flames, holding his three-year-old son. Once the fire was finally put out, six people had died. One of the people that had died was his wife. He told police and firefighters that he was able to get his son and get him out, but could not get upstairs where all of the deceased were located. During the investigation, there were several patterns that pointed towards arson. There were burns low to the floor, poor patterns, puddle configurations, and a burn trailer that went from the living room down the hall. That sounds familiar. Right. Mm -hmm. Lewis said that the fire was an accident. He said that his son was on the couch and had been playing with matches. However, just like at the Willingham house, there was a V-shaped burn pattern that would point out arson to mm -hmm. investigators. I have to laugh a little bit. My son was on the couch just playing with matches. Right. I just let it anyway. And a three-year-old. Yeah. Like, <laughs> a three-year-old on the couch playing with right. matches. Sorry. It makes me giggle. There were witnesses that were outside during the fire. They said that Lewis was not acting unruly and he was extremely calm. And they said that they never saw him try to get help. And like we talked about, people with rough history. So Lewis and his wife apparently had a rough history. She had taken out a restraining order on him and 
So therefore, when a chemist said that he detected a trace of gasoline on Lewis's clothes, he was arrested and charged with six counts of murder, could possibly be given the death penalty, probably would be given the death penalty, six right. counts of murder. One of the deputies working the case said the fire was started as a result of petroleum product being poured on the front porch, foyer, living room, stairwell, second floor bedroom. So, however, when there were more tests run on Lewis's clothes, they showed that there was not gasoline on them. And in fact, there were also several witnesses who said he was out of control when the fire was raging. He even jumped in front of a moving vehicle, begging them to call the fire department. So, Oh, he was so guilty. Sounds, so guilty. Sounds familiar. How dare you jump in front of a car? <laughs> Obviously. So, this was such... A strange case, and there was an extensive investigation of the fire. Some would even say an unusually extensive investigation. In fact, it was backed by the prosecution. There was a house next door to Lewis that was about to be torn down, so the city gave permission to arson investigators to use that house for an experiment. The house next door had been a carbon copy to the Lewis home. So. Isn't that interesting? That's so interesting. They had access to that. Yeah, right. it really is. It's interesting. This is all like going through this. This was all so interesting to me. Uh -huh. And I was just like, I had to wow. Keep digging and digging and digging. Yes. It's fascinating. So investigators redid the entire house to be exactly like the inside <laughs> of the Lewis house, meaning they installed the same carpet, furniture, and accessories in the house. There was special wiring and heat sensors that were used. In uh, fact, this experiment cost arson investigators $20,000 to perform. And honestly, I was thinking, man, $20,000 seems cheap if you really think about all the furniture, the carpet, the accessories. Like, right. You know. Well, um, and when you think about, we talked about those numbers, what it costs to keep someone also on death row. And yes. It costs to keep them on death row for long enough to be executed. Like, $20,000 is actually small bones compared yes. to, you know. Investigators set the couch on fire and did not use any kind of liquid accelerant to see how the fire would perform. They watched the fire grow very quickly. They watched it grow so quickly that it soon reached 1,100 degrees in the living room. And at this point, the windows all blew out in the living room, and it all happened in less than three less minutes. Less than three minutes. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. What investigators saw was what is referred to as flashover. Flashover is the point at which radiant heat causes a fire in a room to literally become a room on fire. This was shocking to investigators as it was always believed that flashover took much longer to occur. Less than three minutes. Yes. But it's so interesting to think all these people thought that it took much longer to right. occur. And this is yeah. clear evidence that. Everything in the living room was now on fire, and that's when the fire became what is known as post-flashover. And when post-flashover occurs, the fire then begins to take its path depending on what oxygen source it gets. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. So after this fire was put out, investigators went into the house to investigate, and what they found were burn patterns on the floor that showed to be irregular. What they did not realize was that these burn patterns can also occur in a fire that was not caused by arson. Imagine that. Interesting. And to add to that, the only way to differentiate between arson and something else is to take samples and to test them for a liquid accelerant. Hmm. Yeah. Remember when that had happened previously. Right. And only one. 
one good one one. positive. So if you didn't listen to the first episode, right, which I'm sure you did, but in the Willingham fire, they took lots of samples and only one came back positive for a liquid accelerant. So liquid accelerant literally could not have been poured all over the Willingham right. home to cause that ar arson. That was impossible. So the investigators also found in this experiment that other things can happen that appear to be caused by arson. This would be the charring near the bottom of the walls and under the furniture. Hmm. Yeah. Again, in this fire, there was also a V-shaped pattern. This pattern was found near the doorway to the living room, which is not where the fire had started. And normally these patterns would occur where the fire had started. So that that there goes that testimony right. that the V-shaped pattern means that it had to have been arson. And after this experiment, the investigators also realized that these patterns can also occur during post flashover. Imagine that. So really, this experiment blows the whole, to me, it just blows everything out of yes. the water that, that had been used to convict Willingham. One of the investigators for this Lime Street case was also heard muttering that they had just proved the defense's case. Yeah. And this ultimately which was what caused Lewis to be exonerated and all charges against him were dropped. Isn't that crazy? Fascinating. Too bad someone like Vasquez and Fogg, who just, I really honestly think they just wanted to win the case. Yeah, absolutely. At all costs. Really stop and think about this. But it's a life that we're talking yes. about. A life, a human being's life that they wanted to win more than they cared about. Yes. Life. So this investigation proved that what was usually seen in arson investigations is now something completely different. Yeah. More tests were done, and it was now discovered that burning under furniture, doors being consumed by fire, and melting of aluminum is very common during post-flashover. One of the fire experts and investigators said of the Lime Street Fire, quote, This was my epiphany. I almost sent a man to die based on theories that were a load of crap. Huh. Huh. But power to him for speaking up and saying that. Like, right. realizing, like, like I was wrong right i was wrong i was totally wrong i almost sent a man to die i was totally wrong and like it just makes you think vasquez and fog could have said that they could have looked at this and said wait stop hold up right but they didn't no hearst then looked at the diagram that vasquez had drawn of the willingham house fire and followed the pattern when he looked at it after rereading the lime street fire information he realized that the pattern was very normal Remember, Willingham had run out the front door, so obviously the pattern that looked so suspicious was only the fire following the oxygen source because the front door was open. Yeah. I have to say this. So did you read the free book on Amazon? Uh-huh. I don't know. Maybe it was just me, uh -huh. but, like, they showed pictures, and I'll try to get copies of the pictures and post them yeah. so everybody can see. But every time it showed, like, the burn pattern, uh -huh. like, trail, it almost looked like a viking or something did you notice that like, it was <laughs> like if you looked at i was like this is like a picture of a person holding a sword or something like, <laughs> it, was just, it was funny like i yeah so again vasquez and fog believed that it was impossible for willingham to run down the hallway and out the front door after lighting the fire but remember he went out the door causing the unusual burn patterns in essence, he was not injured because the fire followed the oxygen. Yeah, it was behind him. I, I just right. I can't. I can't. I, I felt horrible reading all this. 
So what Hearst found was that the bright lights that Willingham said he saw was from the fire and the carbon monoxide mixing. And so after looking at it more closely, he just said that the flashover didn't occur until after he was outside, that there was no way that it happened until after he was outside anyway. So right. he looked at the video that had been taken by Vasquez at the fire scene, and Vasquez said that there were three origins of fire, but Hearst could not find any of the points of ur origin that Vasquez had claimed to see. So that's sad. Ugh. I know. Really, the more and more, yeah, that you read and you study, it yes. just gets more and more damning, and it just sort of makes you sicker and sicker as you look through the evidence. So when Hearst looked at more than 20 arson indicators, the only one that he found held any validity whatsoever were the mineral spirits by the front door. But he couldn't understand why that was the only area in the entire house that tested positive for these mineral spirits. Vasquez and Fogg had thoroughly investigated and took samples of the entire house where nowhere but the front porch had these mineral spirits. Because of this, he started, her started to look at pictures taken of the front porch. And in the picture, he saw a small barbecue grill. This was where the family would grill their lunch and dinner. And by the time that Vasquez arrived to inspect the house, the grill had been removed. In Vasquez's report, he stated that he found a bottle of lighter fluid. What Hearst realized that when the firefighters were putting out the fire, they had inadvertently spread the lighter fluid. Mystery solved. Right? You would think. You would think. Hearst never visited the actual house during his investigation. However, going over all of the evidence, he was able to rule confidently that this was an accidental fire and was not at all caused by arson. This again solved the question of motive. There was no need for one because it was not intentionally set. Meanwhile, Willingham was still sitting on Texas death row. On February 13th, he heard from his attorney that the Board of Pardon and Paroles had denied his bid for clemency. These members did not have to cite their reasoning. However, from 1976 to 2004, they had only granted clemency to one person. That's not happening. Right. No. Willingham's attorney told him that he still had a chance with then Texas Governor Rick Perry. However, Willingham decided to go ahead and get together his last will and testament. He even asked Stacy if he could be buried near their children. Ugh. She had only read court testimony and now believed that he had intentionally killed them. And she denied his request, saying that he had taken away her children from her. So devastating. I know. I, know. I just have to wonder if Hearst had done all of the, if all of this had happened earlier, if there would have been time to save him. I mean, remember, this was only one month. Right. This was only one month before. And Texas is obviously known for not granting clemency, for not, you know, so I just, I feel like it was too little, too late with all this Hearst testimony. Right. He and Elizabeth Gilbert remained close friends during all of this. But the day of his execution, February the 17th, she was not there. He asked his close family and friends where she was. No one knew. And yeah, because he had wanted her to be there. Like right. that was something that had been important to him that Elizabeth Gilbert be there. Right. And she had been involved in a serious accident and was in the ICU and had tried to get him a message but could not. So devastating. I know. Like just the one person that had believed in him and had tried to help him and he just wanted her there and she couldn't be. And it makes me so sad to think of him like looking for her. I know. Thinking that like, I don't know, wondering like maybe she thinks I'm guilty. Maybe she could. I don't know. It's so sad. Yeah. 
But Elizabeth Gilbert did say that he was the one to give her hope, and she stayed strong during her hospital stay, and she was in there for quite a few months. So sad. So it was really, really, really serious. So sad. So at 4 p.m., Willingham's last meal that he had requested was brought to him. This is a big old meal. I know. (laughs) You know, I don't know if you've ever gone on the Texas death row last meals. Like, I love to go and look because some of these people uh are... Insane. Insane. <laughs> well, and then some, like, was it Bundy that don't even eat? Like, some were like, yeah. forget it. I'm not even eating. Just mm-hmm. kill me. I'm done. I'm, I don't even want dinner. Uh, Willingham wanted some dinner. Yes. He had three barbecued pork ribs, two orders of onion rings, fried okra, three beef enchiladas with cheese, and two slices of lemon cream pie. He was stuffed to the gills, and he was then told that Governor Perry had not granted him a stay of execution. Ugh. I know. So, I mean, he, I think he expected it, though. Yes. He knew. He, yeah. He knew. So after hearing that Perry had not granted him a stay, his mom started to cry. He told her to not be upset. He was going to be with his children again. And there was there was one thing, though, that he confessed to his parents about the fire. He told them that he had not tried to crawl in the room to help his girls. He didn't want people to look at him as a coward. So that's why he had said that he tried to crawl in, but he really did not try to but crawl But do you in. blame him? No. I mean, you look at some things, and I think I saw it in the article, that it's very normal for people to say that because yeah. they don't want to be seen yeah. as a coward. I did all I could. Was, I did all yeah. I could. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Like, there obviously that's not what put him in prison right you know to say that and i just have to think if you're in a burning fire like that that your body almost wouldn't let you go into right i I, I don't anyway i don't i would like to think that i would jump into a burning room to save my children as well but i literally think it would be against Mm -hmm. i don't know just like the laws of human nature to jump in a room on fire like although and this is really crazy that we're talking about this but I saw a Facebook video yesterday uh-huh. and I think it was like in Mexico or something. It was a, it wasn't in the United States, uh-huh, I don't, uh-huh. I don't think. but there was, I don't know if it was a house or a, a car, something was yeah. on fire and it was huge and they were trying to put it out. And this man like had run back in mm-hmm. and all these people are like freaking out because yeah. he had run back yeah. in and after probably 30 seconds. So you're like pins and needles yeah. for 30 seconds. He's, yeah, he's he comes dead. out with his dog <gasps> and I mean, and the dog is like running like on oh fire, you know. Gosh. And he comes out and he was burned on oh his arm. Oh my gosh. And they were able to get him help, but it was just like for me who has no kids, right. like, that would be the very first thing I would want to yeah. do is run in and get my dog. Yeah. Oh you know. We only have cats and I I love Ranger and Tilly, but I'll just let them burn up. <laughs> but the one she's so sweet. Uh, t- the three legged Tilly. Tilly yes. I have a three legged cat and she is the sweetest cat. But sorry, Tilly. <laughs> You're a goner. He was, it was time to start the process of getting ready for the execution. Then there was no stay granted. He refused to help them get everything set up. I don't know who would help them. Right? Like, help them what? Uh, get the, let, let me get my arm out there. Yes. Can no. I help? Yeah, put the sheet on my, on the, on the, whatever it is that they lay on. I guess it's like a, what's the word? The it's like a bed, a gurney. Yeah. Yes. Here, let me put this sheet on the gurney so I can help you get everything ready. So he wasn't going to help him get everything ready. And he had asked his friends and family not to be in the gallery to see him die. He thought that was 
too upsetting to them, but he did look up at one time and did see Stacy, his ex-wife. I just can't believe she wanted to be there to see him die. I know. So strange to me. So at 620, the execution was completed and the cause of death listed on his death certificate was homicide. I did not know that that is the cause of death listed on death certificates of people on death row. And you know, I was asked a long time ago, well, it was when I had gone back to school to get my criminal justice degree about, you know, how do you feel about the death penalty? And the only thing that tripped me up was that. Yes. That you are killing somebody for killing somebody. Right. Like, if it had said justifiable homicide or something, yes. I think it would be different. But just to have the, you know, the cause of death yeah. listed as homicide. I agree. I don't like that, that at all. That was the only thing that, like, yeah. you know, kept me from saying 100%. But, of course, you know, then I look at people like Kenneth McDuff, like we said. Absolutely. Oh, no, absolutely. Ted Bundy. Bundy. I mean, absolutely. But, yeah, that's so strange to me, though, that that's what's listed on death certificates of people on death row homicide. And, like you said, justifiable, or there has to be some other word to make it not look as bad. So, in 2005, the state of Texas started a commission to investigate errors and misconduct by forensic scientists. And Willingham's case was one of the very first cases that they looked at. Can I say something really quick? Remember, this was the same commission that looked at Joe Bryan's case. Ah, so Willingham's was one of the very first cases that they looked at. And one of the investigators for the commission, his name is Craig Byler, Mm -hmm. and he concluded that investigators in the Willingham case had no scientific basis for claiming that the fire was arson, that they ignored evidence that contradicted their theory, that they had no comprehension of flashover in fire dynamics, they relied on discredited folklore, failed to eliminate potential accidental causes of the fire. This was just a scathing report. Yes. I mean, it was damning. And so he said that Vasquez's approach seemed to deny rational reasoning and was more characteristic of mystics or psychics, which makes me think of the people who damned him for the skulls yes. and the, the posters. Yeah, that's all it was. Yeah, absolutely. So he determined that the investigation violated not only the standards of today, but even of the time period. So the commission is reviewing his findings and plans to release its own report next year. But some legal scholars believe that the commission may narrowly assess the reliability of scientific evidence, but there is a chance that Texas could become the first state to acknowledge officially that since the advent of the modern judicial system, it had carried out the execution of a legally and factually innocent person. I just, that literally almost stopped my heart when I yeah. read it. Like, you put to death somebody that 100% did not deserve to be put to death. Yeah. And it just, it just killed Well, me. and so many of the parts, I, like, they convicted him in two days. Two days. I mean, just so many of the ways. He never had attorneys that believed he was innocent. Mm -hmm. They convicted him in two days. Like, it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't like it. Yeah, I don't know. Just all terrible. So, just before Willingham received the lethal injection, he was asked if he had any last words, and he said, the only comment I want to make is that I am an innocent man convicted of a crime that I did not commit. I have been persecuted for 12 years for something that I did not do. From God's dust I came, and to dust I will return, so the earth shall become my throne. It's interesting to me. It is. The earth shall become my throne. 
Although he also said something to Stacy. Yeah, and I didn't read this, so I'm excited that you found this. I did, but I'm looking for it and I don't see it. So basically, his final words were, the only statement I want to make is that I am an innocent man convicted of a crime I did not commit. I have been persecuted for 12 years for something I did not do. From God's dust I came and to dust I will return, so the earth shall become my throne. I gotta go, Road Dog. And I remember yes. that, Road Dog, thinking that's a funny, I guess, right. he's getting that name in prison or something, Road Dog. I love you, Gabby, which I'm not really sure who no, Gabby, Gabby is. No, Gabby was. Mm -mm. But then he says some really bad things about Stacy, yes. his ex wife. The He said, I hope you rot in hell. B. Yes. We'll just say that. B word. I hope you effing rot in hell. Yes. And then I'm not even going to yeah, finish just, what he yes, said. It, it's, it's not good. But then he said, that is it. That's it. Yes. So, gosh, I mean, he's mad at Stacy. He is mad <laughs> But, I mean, I get, I don't, I don't think what he said is okay at all. And I don't, no. I don't think it's okay at all. But I guess he can just, maybe I can see that he is like, you are the one person who knows I am innocent. And right. you didn't step up for me and you didn't right. try to save my life so anyway he said some really horrible things to her but he yeah. was mad he yeah. was mad at Stacy and Stacy was there to see him to see him killed so right. uh, he said some pretty some pretty horrible things to Stacy so yeah I mean this is really good but Meg said in her notes uh -huh. that basically the take-home message is this People can debate forever whether Willingham was a bad person or whether he was upset enough at the scene. But the heart of this case is the forensic evidence. Six of the top fire investigators in the country have looked at the evidence and determined the fire was likely accidental. Yeah. So I hope you all feel amazingly happy with yourself. Vasquez and Fogg. killed. Literally, I really want to know literally how they live with it. Or do they literally believe he's guilty? Because I'm thinking of Darlie and like the prosecutor still 100% thinks that she's guilty and he's pleased that she's on death row. Right. So I really, um, I really am so curious if like Vasquez and Fogg, if they've looked at all this and if deep down they feel like a little bit of unrest, like I wonder, or if they're just totally like, well, it, forget it. And I think the only difference is in the Darlie case and in this case is this case is like there is evidence stating he did not do it. That's true. Yeah. Where in Darley's, it's more you like. You can believe what you want. Right. It's just, yeah. Right. That's true. Yeah. I really wonder if, because I'm sure they wouldn't say now out loud to anyone, let, uh, oh, maybe he was innocent. I think right. they're definitely, they definitely wouldn't admit to it. But don't you just have to wonder if like in their own heads, if they're like, yeah, or if they're just so really self-righteous that, that they... Which I know that Vasquez is now deceased. Right. I don't know about Fogg. Right. But Fogg, if you are alive, I hope that this eats at you yeah. every day. Yeah. Honestly, I know. Okay. It's just devastating. It's it is. devastating. But like Amy said, just the heart of this case is forensic evidence. And obviously, in any case, the heart of the case is forensic evidence. And certainly, this was... When was this tried? 90... Two? 91. 90. Uh, 92, because it happened in 91. So, obviously, I mean, this is 25, 6, 7 years after the fact, but forensic evidence is constantly evolving. So, yes. certainly, a case that was tried like this now, probably, I would imagine probably someone would not be convicted now. Because yes. I feel like how much 
forensic evidence is evolving. But you know which one I think we really need to look into now that we've done this? What? Ed Graff. Ooh. We totally need to do that eventually because I think I it, in wonder, Waco, do you think it's okay? Yes. Or do you, what if we, I don't see why not. It was when we were like little. Like I, I was I, like yeah. five or six. Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah. We, I totally remember it. Yeah. His, the, his parents live on my parents' street. Okay. So it was always a big deal okay. because, yeah, yeah, yeah. They live, they're very nice people. And yes. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So I think we're done with this case. I hope y'all enjoyed it because that was really interesting. It's, it's so sad. So interesting. And yeah, it just makes me want to examine more death row cases. Yeah. And just because, yeah. For sure probably put to death a lot of innocent people and a lot of guilty people. Don't get us wrong. It's right. Certainly. 100%. There are a lot of people that should have been executed. And were. Absolutely. One real quick thing before we really kind of close it all up. We do have a promo for this. It is for murderous minors. War Baby is, I would like to say a friend, you know, yeah. never really officially met, but great, great person. And so we'll have that promo for murderous minors. Don't forget, you can reach us at 1096 Crime Chicks on Facebook. Twitter is at 96 Crime. Instagram is 1096 Crime Chicks. And I did put this in the notes last time. I did not say it on the recording, mm. but if anybody wants to help us out with Instagram because we can't really <laughs> figure it out, please let us know. We're happy to. Um, and our email is 1096 Crime Chicks at gmail.com and if you have ugly things to say about our podcast i mean that is fine you ha have the right to but would you shoot us an email please <laughs> please and let us know what you have to say ready please because we've, we've had really good ones and then like i read one this morning from this week about the sound quality it just said bad audio yeah i'm like really yeah shoot us an email we'd love to work on it we yes. in fact have tried to change our audio up today a little bit but that would have been a nice email to get as opposed to a yeah public comment so anyway but thank you all so much mm. for sticking with us if you have any case suggestions yes let us know we i know we've had some people ask for certain cases that i'm just going to tell you right now we're not going to cover yeah darling gentry carrie baker only because it's so local a little close to home yes so as much as we would love to cover those cases, it's just not going to happen, and I'm sorry. Yeah. But uh, if you have other suggestions. Yes. We would love them. Yes. Okay. All right. Until next time. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Just so you know, this show is about scary stuff. So don't say I didn't warn you guys. And remember, don't be scared. Murderous Miners brings true tales of children who have killed. Premeditated murders, accidental killings and deaths, from toddlers to 18-year-old killers, no one is too young to take a life. Join me, War Baby, as I try to tell these stories of the young who've killed, the lives they took, and even the ones who've been left behind. Why do children kill? What do we do with young killers? And do they kill again?
And until next time, don't be scared. Elizabeth had found out about him. Oh, okay. Yeah. He has a patient. Um, um. <laughs> yeah, you know. He, <laughs> his patient was a non nuclear explosive. <laughs> Experiment costs of okay. And fire them against to take its path. Excuse me. Vasquez and Fog. Meanwhile, Willingham was still sitting on the Texas on the. Okay. Let me start. Meanwhile. Meanwhile. Um. So then, yeah. So just before Willingham received his legal injection, legal, legal. I guess it was legal. <laughs> it was legal. Uh, the lethal injections.